Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's long been argued that real-life human behaviour and decision-making are at odds with fixed models of economic thought. The academic study of economics to this day is centred around key thinkers of the last century. Examples are Adam Smith and the benefits of free trade between countries, David Ricardo and comparative advantage, the idea that countries do best by focusing on what they're good at, not how much they produce. After the Great Depression of the 1930s crushed market economies of the world's richest countries, John Maynard Keynes came along to argue that the market has no mechanism for fixing itself. Government and monetary policy has to intervene to stimulate spending and borrowing and to keep people in jobs. This has played out as economic socialism across the developed world, where free markets and private enterprise exist, but government also run essential services like the ESB and RTE in Ireland and provide means-tested healthcare and social welfare. We have never been more thankful for economic socialism than over the last few months of the coronavirus pandemic. Economies as we know them came to a halt and will be slow to rev up again until a vaccine is in wide supply. Industries that depend on the trade of goods and movement of people like fashion and travel are frozen in time. Governments across the world have intervened. The UK is paying people's wages. Ireland is handing people €350 a week to stay at home. While in America, cheques are going straight into citizens' bank accounts. Between swift government support and community solidarity, we're witnessing socialism in action like we have never seen it before. Nobody could have predicted this global health emergency and the economic depression we would all be living through if the rule books weren't thrown out the window and decisive action taken. We could still go there. All is dependent on the path of the virus and the coordination of government and central banks. The world is more complicated than it was in Adam Smith and David Ricardo's time. Economies are intertwined. Companies and supply chains are global. There is more food, clothes, housing and vital services needed because there is more of us. All of this has created problems for our natural world that we now know so well. In Ireland today, government needs to borrow to support all the employees who can't work at the moment and employers who can't open for business. If it borrows without thinking too far ahead, though, there's a risk that we will all be paying it back for years to come and another decade of austerity awaits. It's a fine balance. For Stephen Kinsler, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick, 
These are the issues he spends his life examining and has been an advisor to government as it makes the decisions we will all live with for the coming years. I started by asking him about the Irish approach to money. Well, I guess the first thing uh, to say is that uh, there's no one kind of uh, Irish way of thinking about money. Um, uh, If you look at our savings rate, so how much we don't spend, how much we don't consume, over time, um, it varies with the business cycle. So during the last crisis, or just before it, our savings rate was incredibly low, like one or two percent. And then it jumped way, way, way up uh, during the crisis because everyone was afraid of of what was going to happen next. And then it uh, fell down again. And now it's up at historic highs because no one can spend uh, the money that they'd like on holidays and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So um, what it really means is we have uh, we we're not untypical in in how we save our money and we when it comes down to it um, like most people are uh, particularly our discretionary um, um, payments are driven by sentiment how we feel about the future and that's uh, no different in most places where we are a little different is in wealth so Irish people accumulate wealth almost exclusively in property. Um, this is a little bit untypical um, for the rest of the world. Uh, you know, lots of you, you'll you'll meet lots of people who have absolutely no debt uh, of any kind um, in either in their business or in their households, and they will um, they will not go and and seek debt, uh, which is quite different from other countries. And when they are um, when they're in a situation where they can amass more wealth beyond their principal private residence, a lot of people don't. So it, mm. it actually, that means that our level of wealth inequality, which is the difference between who has wealth and who doesn't, is lower than mm-hmm. in other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a very recent central bank study showed that quite uh, it's quite a pronounced effect um, because of our concentration uh, of of asset ownership in property alone. Mm -hmm. And if we think about Ireland at the moment, we had returned to surplus and fundamentally we're in a good place. Employment was high and, you know, there was there was FDI coming in and and Ireland was a good place to do business. And then the pandemic hit and, and obviously we're in a far more precarious situation. So the budget is ahead in in a few weeks what how how are you feeling about the situation right now like we were in a great position to be able to borrow because we had been prudent over the last few years but what would be your assessment at this point i know it's a very moving situation but at this point how are you feeling about ireland's financial position well i guess it's it's important maybe to compare ireland to um Ireland in 2020 to Ireland in 2009. Mm. 2009, we had a crisis that was fundamentally structural. Um, We had one part of the economy borrowing too much and another part of the economy lending too much. And then that distorted a third part of the economy, the construction sector, um, into an old-fashioned asset boom. And so uh, what you had was, was a completely bust banking system in a totally over indebted household sector and the government went in to mop it up and went broke as a result. Um, Compare it to this crisis. So in January and February of this year, um, you know, there was it was an election cycle where the Minister for Finance actually delivered a a budget in surplus, um, which is really remarkable. Mm given that it was an election year. I mean, in fairness, the lad gets no, he gets absolutely no 
uh, credit for it. Uh, yeah. But it was a remarkable result, and I, I think um, uh, economists of, of every stripe should 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 laud that that effort. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but that that was then. The 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 key issue now is that the pandemic has hit us in a it, it has hit all all aspects of our economy uh, equally, but not all aspects of our economy have been affected equally. And I think that's really, really important. Because of the structure of our economy, we have lots and lots of high value, high margin, high wage jobs, mm. um, typically in a, in a concentrated in quite a, in, let's say, five main sectors, uh, you know, ICT, pharmaceuticals, and the public sector, a few other, a few other areas. And then you have lots of, if you like, low wage, low margin jobs, um, in areas like accommodation and uh, transport and retail. And it, what is what is interesting is that these are the jobs that are most affected by the crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the structure of our economy, uh, uh, the finances of the government are not that badly impacted uh, uh, relative to other countries because we have an incredibly progressive income tax system, which means that the people on lower incomes don't pay that much in income tax of any kind. Mm-hmm. And so that they, we never took the taxes from them that they're not giving now, if that makes right. yeah. any sense. Totally. Yeah. And, so, and so what it means is that the, the, the state's finances are on a far more secure footing. Uh, the other really smart thing that the, that the government is doing is is allaying any expectational pressure by pushing most of the main support mechanisms into uh, into next year, into April of next year, and um, reserving the right to expand them again mm-hmm. if the mm-hmm. system if things get worse again, which I think is really smart. Um, the, in the UK at the moment, they're currently having a big big row about. Um, the yes. ending of the, yeah. if you like, the disaster relief payments, yeah. and, and we're not having that row. Where people are upset that, that certain payment levels are going down slightly, but it's it's quite a different thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it, isn't it? That, that's what we've seen. It it has it. We have really seen bear how the the how the state has kind of stepped in and has really kept everything afloat, definitely in Ireland and to to a large extent in the US as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the other the other major thing to to say is is that the public sector has moved with incredible speed to get a lot of this done. Um, so you're talking about giant policies being um, that that affect a million people, which is a fifth of the population of the country, um, uh, mm-hmm. being implemented between a Friday and a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You know, like like that's that's you know designed yeah. designed delivered and implemented you know, over a bank holiday, like that is extraordinary. And, and um, you know, people will be writing their memoirs about that, that, that weekend, because it's, it was really quite, quite extraordinary. But yeah. the, the major thing is, um, the major sort of area that they got wrong, and um, they did loads of stuff right. And I, I think every sort of right thinking citizen should applaud the efforts of the public sector, particularly the health system um, in that regard. But where I think they've gotten it slightly wrong is, is on the SME sector. So that 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 SMEs employ 68% of our yes. uh, workforce, and they um, pay an awful lot of tax, but they're tiny and they're obviously very very varied. They a lot of them don't take on any debt. So mm-hmm. if you offer a, an SME that isn't sure of its turnover in the next three months because of all the uncertainty, a loan to keep going, from a balance sheet perspective, the difference between assets and liabilities, the firm is not going to take it, mm-hmm. and so. The government in July announced a, a fairly massive stimulus pro- program, and it got almost no, um, it got almost no credit, credit or kudos for it. And the reason is that 
a lot of it was loan based. And so therefore, unlikely to be drawn down. It's a bit like giving someone a voucher Mm -hmm. for your business. If they don't use the voucher, you haven't spent any money. Same idea, you know, uh, and and, um, and therefore not a, not an actual stimulus. I think the government is is winding the ideas, the set of ideas is winding its way through to realizing that the um, SME sector is going to need direct grants at a massive scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 two issues there are one, how big? Um, uh, recent ESRI studies have suggested between nine and fifteen billion. You know, and just to give everyone a mm-hmm. sense of scale, like that's the education system of the country. Right. Okay. Right. So that's the scale that we're talking about. Um, and that's everything from primary schools to, to, to universities like um, and uh, uh, that's one aspect. And the, the second aspect is how to make sure in addition to scale, how to make sure that we ha- that we are giving them to the right uh, companies. Because like I said, there are certain companies who are I won't say they're absolutely grand. But they're 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 not as impacted mm-hmm. as um, companies in accommodation, food, retail, mm-hmm. transport, um, and so it, targeting that and and sort of limiting the taxpayers' uh, largesse in a certain sense, mm-hmm. but also making sure that where there is need, it's fulfilled on a fairly massive basis, um, uh, in order to stop m- mass liquidations happening next year. Uh, a, a thing that I, I was always struck by in the last crisis was the fact that the unemployment rate exploded in on the 1st of January uh, uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. So, so it was actually fine uh, in 2007. People, people, people always say that, oh, you know, they bailed out the banks, you know, um, September, 2000, September 2007, they, they bailed out the banks and then the economy went wild. That, that actually wasn't what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was employers kept their employees on the books until the last possible moment that they that they could, and they didn't make them unemployed in the teeth of Christmas, they let nice. them go in January, and so that's why I'll be looking at, at next January very very closely, and um, because that's when uh, the wave of unemployment, real unemployment, will yes. will will, will yes, rise. Yes, of course, because people will still be on for on on the the pandemic unemployment benefit or whatever iteration that is at this time and yeah. I guess that is the that's kind of the last resort for employers isn't it to, to yeah. let go people and just to give people a bit of perspective okay if we think of say the definitely the travel travel and tourist tourism industry is hugely impacted restaurants impacted bars impacted um a lot of kind of smaller stores around city centers specifically are impacted and and then we obviously have our sectors that are that are quite shielded from this in ireland how big a deal is it that that these specific sectors are are really in a bad place in in comparison like as in how is it in the in the kind of the overall employment of the country? Well, if you just pick tourism for just as as one example, mm-hmm. you're talking about eleven percent of the workforce. Okay. Um, you and if you 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 know you, if you move out of the major urban centres, you're talking about one of the major employers in most mm-hmm. of the regions. Yes. So, if you think about you know, uh, I mean, there, there are places that are seasonal hotspots like Clare and Kerry and so forth. Um, um, they're, they, they, they'll be massively impacted, but on a seasonal basis. But if you just think about all the big hotels, um, that, you know, they, 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 they hire, uh, all the teenagers, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff They mm-hmm. they, they, um, 
that if they're unable to do that, you're talking about a, a creating uh, a youth unemployment problem. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a fairly massive one as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Is that um, is it offset at all by the fact that many young people are staying home for college where they they might have had to come up to a city and rent somewhere and get a part-time job. Is there any sort of kind of leveling out there at all? Um, well, from, an, from a macro perspective, you kind of wouldn't see that. But from a micro perspective, um, what you'll have is you'll have students, you know, Skyping in and all that kind of stuff, mm. but that, that uh, uh, or Zooming in to, to college, that creates its own issues because um, lots of students don't have laptops mm-hmm. um, lots of students don't have good broadband lots of students uh, will rely on team learning as opposed to just mm-hmm. learning on their own mm-hmm. um, and you know college uh, I, I mean I know I'm a pre- professor and all that but but uh, uh, college is not all about lectures no it's not you know um, and uh, and it's a it's a real pity that that, that we won't be able to see yeah. the students as much this this semester. I mean, you think about it. If a first year student uh, coming into college, you know, coming to the University of Limerick, in fact, if they, they start next next uh, Monday, and the first years are coming back, uh, they haven't done their leaving cert, they haven't had their debs, they haven't, mm. um, they haven't done all those kind of you know rites of passage mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. things that everyone else has done, and they're coming into first year, and it's you know they're coming in, in, in on week one, mm-hmm. and then they they leave, and we don't see them again until week five, yeah. and then we see them again in week nine. We see them again in week twelve, I think, and then they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so I mean, look, we're, we're all doing our best here, um, but we, we, um, it's it's not we, such a yeah. you can't kind of simplify it down to oh well they're at home so they're not going to be spending no, so much. It's it's a huge it's it's far more of a social yeah um, and, social and remember problem. who's being affected right. So it's I think the definition of pandemic privilege is a back garden and a stable income. Mm. Right. So, so, um, you know, upper middle class parents who were sending their kids to college and all that, um, they're, they're going to be all right. You know, it's not going to be great, but they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the children of, uh, you know, the, the, the children who are maybe the f- first time going to college who don't necessarily, um, have the, uh, have the social learning, if you like mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, upper middle class kids have, have baked into them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they'll 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 find it um, more difficult. And remember, who is being affected by this? You know, they're they're less secure workers. Um, you know, people working in very specific sectors and uh, and and um, who are renting. So you have this kind of weird, not just generational divide because the young are much more affected than the old. The older um, you have, if you like, the the comfortable remaining comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the less comfortable yeah. becoming more uncomfortable. So it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a potentially very divisive moment. Yeah. If we go back to the structure of Ireland's economy, it, it can sort of be divided into two time zones. So there's the pre-multinational period up to the early 90s, where when I was a baby and many of our listeners <laughs> was a baby, but you were working away, and post-multinational. And I think you can really, there is there is a complete divide, isn't there, of, of what the country looked like before Google and the rest of it and 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 after and what we have today um, and we've gone from having the lowest wages and standard of living to one of the highest across across the board really and even our social welfare is generous in comparison to a lot of places 
can you remember what changed in the early 90s that that kind of brought Ireland into this this new place of of um, prosperity? I think what changed was the nature of global capitalism. So um, Ireland was open to foreign direct investment from, you know, 1958. That's when we decided this is this is our plan. We're going to be open to export led growth. We're going to uh, bring, we're going to use our tax system to bring uh, companies here. They will employ our workers. We will give them free factories. The workers will have better paid jobs. They will go out and buy things and our living standards will improve. That's the logic of export-led growth. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and that's, that's sort of been working for us. So you could, you could, you could bracket this as being, as, as using our industrial policies or so tax and, and, and spend policies to be as open as possible and court um, international uh, um, uh, uh, dollars, mm-hmm. and particularly from the United States, right? So it's been fairly focused on the United States. I mean, Ireland is a global player in foreign direct investment. Um, the, the 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 sort of the, the the darker nastier side of that is is recently we've been accused of being a tax haven mm. um, by 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 lots of people because when you compute the um, the the amount of profits of the Irish subsidiaries of in companies um, and then you divide that number by the number of employees in Ireland you get a giant figure so for France it's something like a hundred. You know, mm-hmm. and for Ireland is something like 800. So, you know, the, we, we are the, this could be um, a feature of our success. It could be the it could be the fact that we, we have happened to luckily focus on certain sectors that are very, very, very profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be the fact that um, in the 90s, to, to answer your question about what changed, um, we decided that we would move for a model that is that is almost entirely financial so we we are we are part of if you like the structure of financial globalization uh so that's where people can move their money around we have the international financial services center and because people can move their money around mm-hmm. they move their things around and that you know mm-hmm. that that that's what gives us a huge um a bump the other major change uh, actually Derla, is the um is the uh nature of our higher education system mm. So in the 1960s, 5% of the population went to college. Now it's 50%. And the reason that um, the reason that that happened was there was a very strong push in the 90s for language skills, for the expansion of the, uh, if you like, the higher skill bases mm-hmm. in order to meet the demands of multinational enterprises. Nice. Okay. And so by by we've used our education policy uh, and our industrial policy to kind of court more. Right. Uh, court more international um, dollars. Now, whether that is a sustainable model going forward, uh, it is. it remains to be seen. And I, I for one, am not convinced of its, um, its apparent longevity. Yeah, because I'm thinking of friends that have been laid off in places like LinkedIn and Glassdoor and Airbnb and you know, these companies that that you know where you could it was the golden ticket to to get yeah. a job in these places but we yeah. realize that any company is only as valuable as the the market that it's in and the, the amount of people that support it and and any can anything can happen like the pandemic the pandemic at, at any point and at the end of the day a company has to make the decisions it needs to to survive and and often that can be unemployment so like do you think even if we weren't in in a pandemic situation do, do you think it's wise to 
rely on the multinational job in Ireland as as the passport anymore or do you think that there's possibly change coming like in fairness that you were looking at the stock market in the US and they're, they're still doing relatively well for sure and I would say if you asked a lot of people in school and college now they would they would still have that as as their number one destination so what, what do you think about it so my my experience is conditioned on the fact that I I'm, I live in Limerick um, and in 2009 a very large employer Dell moved out Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 1900 jobs were lost, 4000 jobs were lost, both indirect and, and direct. But, um, you know, uh, years before that, um, Ferenka was a very large company that moved out, uh, Krups, Wang. Um, you can look at the economic history of Limerick going all the way back to the 16th century and you find a tallow maker um, from Dublin mm-hmm. uh, employing lots and lots of people and uh, uh it it, it uh, pulled out and devastated employment in the region. So if you have a situation where you have a, uh, a an industrial policy that's predicated on a few key sectors and a few key employers, any change in the in the uh, in the decision stru- making structure of those employers is not just a regional uh, problem, but it's a macroeconomic problem. Yeah. So, so, so an enormous proportion of the corporation taxes that powered the uh, budget surplus that we talked about earlier um, come from only 10 companies. If one of those companies wakes up in the morning and says, it's actually in our interest to leave Ireland and move to yeah. Vietnam, we'll see you later. Yeah. Um, we're in real trouble. Yeah. Now, that is not how multinationals work. Um, many multinationals have been on to me to say, look, Steve, this is we, t- we understand your po- your point, but here is how this actually works. So when it, when it, particularly a manufacturing based multinational decides to do anything, they do it on five to 10 year timescales, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Intel, if Intel decided to leave Ireland tomorrow, it would take them 10 to 15 years to actually do so. Right. And I'm you also know? thinking of Facebook building from the ground in Ballsbridge yeah. in Dublin as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the key things about the one of the things key things that the uh, COVID crisis has exposed is the fact that that kind of comfortable class that I told you about, you know, uh, the sort of back garden people, they they, they are now j- just about to have their previously protected and very nice and well remunerated jobs exposed to global competition. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now, um, uh, uh, my name is Stephen. I have a PhD, and I'm talking to you from my spare room. Uh, I'm just happen to be from Limerick. Well, I'm from Dublin actually, but let's mm-hmm. just assume mm-hmm. I'm, I'm from Limerick. Um, you there's saw a sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a there's a Stephen uh, with a PhD in economics in Hyderabad who's also talking to people from his spare room, right? We do the fundamentally we do the same thing, which is to broadcast information over the internet. And uh, there's no reason, particularly, why uh, I shouldn't have to compete for my work with the Stephen from Hyderabad mm-hmm. or Vancouver or California or wherever, right? So global wage global wage competition for previously regulated or, or, or protected sectors is coming. And uh, if, if any of your listeners are interested, check out Globotics by Richard Baldwin. 
uh, Globotics is is a is a brilliant book, um, and it's also a podcast series where he talks about what that will look like and mm. feel like when you know the professional classes, if you like, have their have their lunch taken mm. by a much harder working uh, uh, lower wage group of people. Um, you know, once you strip away the location specific capital mm -hmm. and, you know, the fact that we have a giant, beautiful campus on the University of Limerick is great, but it's, it's, it's functionally useless right mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. Um, that's not where I am. I'm not in my office mm -hmm. as I would be on, a, on you know, mm -hmm. nine o'clock on a Wednesday mm -hmm. um, uh, when we're recording this. So, so uh, that matters. And I think the, uh, the experience of, of lots of us in moving to, uh, you know, online AI tools. So I use an AI scheduler for meetings now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, that, that, that just, that just speeds things up. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, we, we have in, in the university tech sector by no means is the most dynamic yeah. uh, of, of them. Um, but we've, we've moved almost entirely digital in, 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 in a six month period. Yeah. We won't go back, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it'll be the same for lots and lots of sectors. So mm -hmm. your friends in Glassdoor, um, and and other excellent companies like that, um, you know, they they may they may realize that there are far more opportunities to sell their labor in other markets, mm -hmm. you know, um, but they all they will also realize that they are therefore competing with other labor in other markets. Yeah, that's true. Um, if 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 I could figure out one, I can. I I've I've already figured out my billion dollar idea. Um, and Do my share. Idea is. There are tax systems all over the world that are essentially location specific. So if I want to hire a postdoctoral researcher in economics, but um, she happens to be from France, uh, she has to move here to get a PPS number. Mm. Um, and that that's not great for her because obviously she can't come here. Now, I actually, she could be living in Limerick. She could be living four doors down from me. It doesn't matter. She's going to be doing all of her work from her spare room. Mm -hmm. Um, so, or her kitchen table. So what does that mean? It means that anybody that can solve the fact that you, a French person needs to earn Irish income and pay Irish taxes, mm. um, and, and then get paid in France and vice versa. Anyone who figures out that problem at scale mm -hmm. and so that I can hire that person and get the best expertise in the world, yeah. arbitraging away from the domestic tax system if you like, I mean, yeah. doing it legally, obviously, um, they're going to be and take then take a percentage of the transaction. Every, those part people are going to be incredibly rich, yeah. stupid rich, not even rich, uh, reach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take, take yeah. note, everyone. Um, yeah. I, I just want to just we're, we're getting towards the end, but I, I, I can't let you go without going to one other important side of the economy, and that is the gig economy. Um, I, I came across a piece by the legendary investor Jim Jim Chanas in the FT recently, and he said that going forward there'll be greater political focus on low wage gig economy workers. And actually, the week after, I saw a piece in the Irish Times that Just Eat are going to employ all their workers, and they're they're saying goodbye to the the gig worker model. You know, these bikes are flying around Dublin, especially, but in also in in cities around. Ireland, can you see the government intervening in Ireland? Because they're, you know, they're 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 a, a service that many of us use now, so they are an important part of our economy. So, where do you think their future lies in Ireland? 
I, I think um, once once I remember Uber's business model being explained to me, and it sounded like they couldn't. Now this is before I even knew it was called Uber. The only way they could actually make money is by is by not paying full freight for the labor that they're employing. Right. So what the, what Uber really did and what many of these gig economies do really is is uh, skirt around uh, labor regulation and that they, they derive most of their profitability from the ability to, if you like, arbitrage downward into the wage schedule. So they're, so rather than paying somebody 10 euros an hour, they're really they're in gross cost to the to the employee and to the employer rather um, they're they're uh, they're paying three. Right, and they're keeping the seven or mm -hmm. some ver some some percentage of the seven. That's what's driving all their profitability. And then the then they're adopting a pretending to adopt a tech model where they lose lots of money for a long time until they become the biggest, and then they're then they're monopolists, and then they can jack up the price. And the idea was, and this is what somebody somebody uh, explained to me, the idea was at that point they would start paying full freight for their employees, right? So um, that model doesn't work as long as there's lots of competition for if you like gig economy mm -hmm. um, jobs so I, I i as an economist i i really do see the value of gig economy work i mean i i work in the gig economy in a certain mm -hmm. sense um so so well, yeah uh, you do a few bits like you yeah i do a few bits and pieces <laughs> here and there you know uh, write the odd thing so you know i'm 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 very very uh, pleased to have the flexibility mm -hmm. of that yeah but for me, the gig economy works because I have a secure job and then I use yeah. the gig economy to get extra cash. Yeah. If yeah, that was yeah. the only job I had, that would be a very, very different thing. Yes, right? and that's a and very so, important distinction, isn't it? Very important. When the gig economy is your only source of income, that's a very, very, very different place to be. And I think the, there's... Um, there's genuine value in exploring this. And I think, you, you know... Uh, uh, Gig economy work is not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It mm. depends on how it's set up. Um, and it also depends on the uh, welfare of the workers. And if if any gig economy um, uh, platform that's set up to maximize the welfare of the worker as opposed to the welfare of the shareholder of the platform is going to do very well. Um, and uh, the, the, the problem with that is it's almost certainly going to charge a higher price than the one that's set up to deliver welfare for the welfare mm -hmm. increases for the shareholder. Mm -hmm. So uh, the customer will have to make a, a sort of an ethical decision. But actually, there's a lot of evidence that customers do make ethical decisions, you know, mm -hmm. uh, especially I mean, there's been lots of stuff on ride sharing platforms, for example, um, lots of evidence that that if if people perceive a certain firm as being, you know, less fair than others, they'll go with the ones that are more fair, mm -hmm. even if there's a price premium mm -hmm. over time. And so that 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 kind of research, you know, uh, there is a preference for fairness, a preference for for kind of uh, kind of um, treating workers well. And it's just a case of building business models that exploit that mm -hmm. uh, preference and really show it off, you know, um, and then people get a, a quite a different. Um, they get quite a different feeling. I think in this particular respect, Adam Smith was wrong. He said, you know, 1776, he said, you know, the, the idea of a social entrepreneur is complete nonsense. Uh, you know, it's just a veneer. It's just window dressing. Yeah. I, I don't think he was right there. Yeah. Stephen, I just want to finish sort of where we began. And that is with looking at Ireland broadly and especially through the eyes of young people. I'm kind of 
I'm looking especially at the SME sector and, and the position it's in now and and its near future. And I would think that young people are looking at these business owners, entrepreneurs and possibly thinking, nah, that's I'm I'm not up for that. No supports. I'm going to have a nice, safe job, um, maybe going to the public sector. But, um, you know, being a high flying entrepreneur, you know, it can be that dream can be over in in an instant. And or if, if any kind of event hits, how how do you feel about that? And do you think that that's actually quite a, a worrying thing if if Ireland isn't producing as many entrepreneurs? So um, every year uh, I teach a class of about 550 students. And um, when we do it in the, in the concert hall in, in the University of Limerick and every year I, I ask them hands up here who, who wants to be a millionaire. And, you know, half the class put their hands up and then because the other half are asleep. Like, yeah. and, and I ask <laughs> and I ask the, the other and I, and I said, hands up who wants to work for themselves. And only about five percent of the class put their hands up. Mm. And I say, you know, what's your plan here? Your business studies students, your business students. Yeah. What's your plan for becoming a millionaire while working for someone else? Right. And the the it is very it exposes a certain magical thinking, right? Um, if you there is a there is a real buzz and a real interest in entrepreneurial work and setting up um, businesses. Um, uh, and 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 I can I can tell you this from from first-hand knowledge it's a lot more fun than than people think the other kind of major thing is that um, there are really huge supports now available mm. uh, for entrepreneurs that weren't available 10 years ago mm. when you know when you were when you were y- younger in in the 90s uh, there were none mm. effectively um you know ireland now competes on a global on a global footing like i said all of the things that make wage competition more dangerous because you know Stephen from Limerick and Stephen from Hyderabad are competing against one another. There, there, that that's a challenge for workers, but it's an absolute opportunity for people who are working, who are who own their own business. Right? Mm-hmm. It means those two markets are now open to you. Mm-hmm. Um, before the crisis, before the crisis started, Stripe, which is a payment company, um, as it's run by two Irish guys, mm-hmm. they 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 um they saw a huge increase in the in the in the transactions that they were. Um, putting through their books um, and it was up like a billion dollars after the first couple of weeks um, of of the crisis and now it's a uh, now it's it's 10 billion mm-hmm. right so the crisis is kind of exposed to structural change so I would say if you have a business that you think you can do more or less online that you think needs the government support to get started but is fundamentally viable in and of its own right I would say go for that mm-hmm. and go hard at it because the job will always be there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who sets up their own company and who's able to pull all those resources together, um, you know, the, the the skills that they have in doing that can be done in a big company too. There are entrepreneurs within big companies as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference is your work for you work in a big company, you know, the, the, the extra value that you generate, that goes to the company yeah. when you do that. When you do it for yourself, it goes to you. Um, and that's why, th- that I think that's the fundamental trick, right? The yeah. fundamental trick is to realize that that's, 
there for you. Yeah, um, yeah. And, 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 and there is just, there are just so many ideas. There's so much value to be yeah. created. There's so, and, so and, many interesting lives. Yeah. You know, and, and also if, if you think about a, a huge barrier to many entrepreneurs and that's access to finance, but there, it's not just AIB and Bank of Ireland anymore. There are so many other ways to finance your company. Yeah, and you can start from from very very little as well. You know, you mm-hmm. can outsource an awful lot of uh, you know the, the the bricks and mortar stuff, the shipping, the packaging, the payments, and all that. And mm-hmm. um, the the real thing is getting your idea right and getting the story about your idea right. So the narrative, why is this great? Why is it different? What problem does it solve? What is the solution? Where do you go to find customers? How can you generate value? What's your margin? You know, answering these questions, which are the standard questions, they're the the, the interesting ways that you can do that. Um, and the millions of ways that you can mm-hmm. do that are, uh, yeah, and, and, and I should say as well, that we are in now in 2020, we're now in an era where there's lots and lots of Irish people who have made it big, right? They've, they've sold their company for tens or hundreds of millions. They've got loads of cash. They know what the business world is like. They're able to do the venture capital thing. They're able to allocate capital in a clever way, all that kind of stuff. Um, and 20 years ago, that probably wasn't true, right? So there's a lot of expertise now here that you can draw on. And mm-hmm. if Irish people are good at anything, it's networking and asking people for a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, and maybe having the confidence to do that is the, is the, the first step to setting up new things. And then you create jobs, you create employment, um, you move beyond the restrictions of living on an island of only whatever, 5 million people. Yeah, yeah. So a key takeaway is that if something was a good idea before the pandemic, it probably still is a good idea. So not to lose heart. No, not at all. Not at all. Brilliant. Um, An amazing positive note to end on. Stephen Kinsella, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Our government has monumental decisions to make to keep the country afloat. And these decisions need to be made now. As every day a business is closed and every day someone is out of work, the economy is asleep and the government bill gets bigger. Looking more broadly at our own economic habits, the events of the last few months have forced us to hold a mirror up to the way we live our lives and our pursuit of growth and wealth, material goods and more. It's hard to see where the fixed mindsets of Ricardo and Smith fit now. Are students who spend years studying them actually armed to tackle the big economic problems we have today? Maybe it's time to relegate these great economic thinkers to the dust heap of history and usher in place a new, more flexible school of economic thought. One that better fits the less predictable world we live in today. That's it for Rethinking Ireland for this week. Thanks to Sarah Madden, who co-produced, and to Shane at Collaborative Studios. Thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.